Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Streaming Science Podcast. Streaming Science is a student-driven program that works to connect you with scientists so that you can learn how science impacts all of us in our daily lives. I'm Christine Krebs, an agricultural education and communication doctoral student and your host for this episode. You're currently listening to our most recent series titled The State of the Scientific Enterprise During COVID-19, made in partnership with the UF-IFAS Research Dean's Office and the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences. This series, we explore the stories of scientists and their students about how COVID-19 has impacted their professional and personal lives. Over the past year, scientists and their graduate students had to make some tough decisions about how to modify research practices and how to reopen research spaces safely. In the following interview, I spoke with Dr. Michelle Danny-Look, food science researcher and professor at the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Citrus Research and Education Center. Dr. Danny-Look's research interests encompass microbial food safety and quality in the food industry. Alongside her own research, Dr. Danny-Look maintains an active lab with students working towards degrees at both the doctoral and master's levels. She also teaches undergraduate and graduate courses for the UF Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Danny Look as a guest on our podcast to talk more about her research on food and COVID-19. We discussed the U.S. Department of Agriculture Rapid Response Research Grant on COVID-19, information and tips as it relates to food safety, and life as a COVID-19 researcher that oversees a lab of graduate students during the pandemic. Through this podcast, I hope you gain insight into Dr. Danny Look's research, COVID-19 impacts on food safety, and an overall sense of how scientists are moving forward to keep the scientific enterprise up and running. Thank you for being here, Dr. Danny Look. Could you describe the rapid response grant on COVID-19 and food safety you received in partnership with NC State University, Rutgers University, and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln? Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for that question. So we received back in the summer a project that we've titled Food Net. And it's a collaborative approach. And our goal is really to fill in data gaps related to the food industry and and impact behaviors in the food industry. And, you know, I think all of us at the beginning of the pandemic can remember some of the, the panic we felt and some of the concern we had around food and grocery shopping. The USDA responded by putting out a call for grants. And one of the things we really wanted to do was come up with a project to talk about management solutions in the in the industry to really systematically approach SARS-CoV-2 management through engagement with a group of stakeholders. We're working with the food industry from farm to fork, really trying to, to address needs and, and data gaps in the industry. What is it like working on such a large collaborative project with such a diverse group of researchers during a pandemic. Yeah, it's boy it's a different experience than I've had in a lot of other grants I've ever I've ever worked on. You know, in a, in a lot of grants, one of the things you do at the very beginning is have a in-person meeting to get everybody on the same page and that's not something we've been able to do in this project and I, I suspect we won't be able to do for the duration of the project so we've had to take advantage of different video conferencing technologies and so we meet as a project team lead myself and my co-PIs we meet every every Monday to have a discussion of where we are in terms of progress and updates within our our research team within the four universities we've got you know a research laboratory based team and an extension based team who meet monthly and then we also have a stakeholder council 
and we have a uh, review council and those meet again all by video conference once monthly and it's become apparent that some things are a lot easier to do face to face but you know we're making the technology work and we all are certainly a lot better at it now than we were at the beginning probably one of the challenges that we face is that really data and information is changing so rapidly so there's a lot of new information coming at us and we've had to be very nimble and able to adapt to the new challenges both within the industry and on the team. I do work in the area of food safety. And so large diverse teams are, are not something new for me. I'm a food safety microbiologist, but I frequently work with people in animal sciences or plant sciences or, or veterinarians or epidemiologists. So I'm used to that collaborative team, but it, it's been a great experience, but a big learning experience as well. That's awesome. You mentioned the separate uh, research collaborators and each of you having sort of this team and, and bringing something to the table. So if you were to describe your role, what would that look like? Yeah. So like I said, our grant really has both research and extension objectives in it. And so on a research side uh, at the University of Florida, there's, there's two of us involved, myself and a food virologist uh, out of the Food Science and Human Nutrition Department named Naeem Montessori. And what our job is on the grant is to fill in some of the areas where we don't have a lot of data to answer questions specifically related to the food system. I can give you some examples, right? When you look at, at information that's out there in peer-reviewed paper about survival of SARS-CoV-2, the virus in the environment, those data focus very much on surfaces that are present in places like hospitals, right? And that makes a lot of sense because we're worried about spread in places like hospitals or nursing homes or, or these, these health settings. We don't have a lot of data on viral survival in places like grocery stores, right? Or in food processing plants or on packing houses. So one of the things we're really focused on doing is, is taking what we know from the, the healthcare setting side and seeing which data gaps we need to fill in. So, you know, using retail stores as an example, grocery cart handles. How long does a virus survive on grocery cart handles? How often do we have to clean and sanitize those? Takeout food containers, right? I think all of us can say we're eating way more takeout mm. than we ever have before. If that delivery person happens to have the virus and has it on their hands and touches my takeout containers, what's the risk for me? So the real question we're asking is, just because the virus, you can find viral RNA on the surface of a packet, does that mean there's actually infective virus on the, on the package? And, and so in my lab and in Dr. Montessori's lab, we're working to try to answer some of those questions really specifically related to the food industry. Another question we're really trying to answer and where my team also, our team has really come in is about transferability, right? So if you do have it on the the chopsticks you get in your takeout food and you pick those chopsticks up, how much move from the chopsticks to your hand or how much moves from the grocery cart handle to your hand. Essentially, it all boils down to how low is the risk from food, right? Because I think what we continue to see, see coming out of places like 
WHO, World Health Organization, Food and Agricultural Organization, CDC, USDA, FDA, or these, these broad statements, and we saw one, one last week that, that there's really not a lot of evidence or there's no evidence at this point that food or food packaging is an important route of contamination. And, and that makes a lot of sense, right? If we look worldwide at the billions and billions of meals that have been prepared and food that's been purchased and, and meals consumed in the last 12 months, and we see have never seen an outbreak associated with that food packaging or food consumption, there's just, it. what that tells us is intuitively the risk should be very low. And so really so much of this grant is about figuring out how low the risk is and then being able to make recommendations to the food industry where they can react to that risk and put their money in appropriate mitigation strategies to try to control SARS within their people. I mean, I think, you know, we can look at, you can look at food and its role in the pandemic in a couple ways. You can look at it as a transmission vehicle. And again, right, there's no evidence that eating food is gonna make you sick. We've got a respiratory virus. So the likelihood of getting sick through eating something is very low. We can look at it as a cross-contamination risk, right, where I touch the food and then touch my face. And again, we don't have a lot of effort in that way. So we suspect that risk is very, very low. And then we've got perhaps the biggest risk, which is transmission amongst people around food. And, you know, and that it's a respiratory virus. That's what we sort of expect. And so what can companies be doing to really be focusing on preventing person-to-person -person spread? So back to that social distancing and social distancing, mash wearing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when you mention sort of your research team looking at, okay, the presence is there, but what is the risk associated with this presence? Because that's what public health and food service industry professionals are most concerned with. And that's what we as humans should be most concerned with. Yeah. So one of the concepts that we really talk a lot about in food safety that I think is true here is the difference between hazard presence and risk, right? Just because a hazard is present doesn't mean that there's a risk from, from that hazard. So you're exactly right when you're saying just because you can detect residual viral RNA on a food package, on a frozen item that's been shipped around the world, that's not the same as there actually being a risk from that from that food package. Yeah, so this, the idea of hazard versus risk and really making risk-based decisions, not hazard-based decisions, is something that we try to communicate all the time in food safety, and it's just naturally flowed into um, the work we're doing on SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, and, the, and wondering, what do I do? How should I eat? What should I eat? And really, I guess, realizing that it's when you are around others to just be cognizant, social distance, wear your mask, wash your hands. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll say, too, that's something that's changed tremendously from the beginning, right? Early on, a lot of questions about food and food packaging. Should I wash my food before I bring it into my house? Should I be sanitizing pa food packages in the sink? Should I be leaving it on the porch or in my car for three days before I bring it in? There are food safety risks associated with doing all of those things. And from the beginning, we've not, we've not recommended any of them. So, yeah, really sort of those historic, classic public health examples of if you're going to be in close proximity to people without a mask on, you are at a higher risk. Mm -hmm. How should people handle their food during pandemic? Yeah, handle it exactly the same way you handled it before. 
for me, that's essentially what it boils down to. When we talk about grocery shopping, cooking in your own kitchen, you know, food safety practices are the same as they were before. And we encourage, you know, we, we're glad to see everybody washing their hands more. And we hope that that doesn't go away when the pandemic's over. We're glad to see everybody cleaning and sanitizing their surfaces more. Another thing we hope doesn't go away in the pandemic. I, I will say again, the other thing that not eating in a, in a restaurant in during the pandemic is certainly less risky than eating in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. But if you elect to eat in a restaurant, there are things that you can still do to reduce your risk. And that's looking for restaurants where mask compliance amongst staff and patrons is, is high, making sure you're going to a restaurant where there's reduced seating capacity, eating outside is less risky than eating inside. So there are decisions you can still make to eat at a restaurant and reduce your risk during a pandemic. The website of our, our project is foodcovi.net, and we have a number of fact sheets on there that talk through these different risk factors. So if you are choosing to eat outside at restaurants, know that there are things you can do to decrease the risk even to do that. Awesome. So all in all, everyone can enjoy the food that they have been enjoying before and to just practice food safety that you've known before. And you can even still go to your favorite restaurant as long as they are complying with these social distancing rules, and especially if they have outdoor seating. Thank you for that advice. I guess that brings me to my next question. What do you love about your work? You know, how do you hope it helps people? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I, I do. I love my job. I love working in the area of food safety. I mean, I feel really passionate. Nobody should get sick from what they eat. And certainly nobody should die. In the area of food safety, it's about 6,000 deaths every year that are estimated to happen because of, of foodborne outbreaks. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I do, I love to work in an area that's focused on public health and disease prevention. I did an undergraduate degree in, in general microbiology. And so for me, the fact that what I do is so very applied and that the questions we ask and the science that we're trying to do is to answer practical questions that really make a difference in industry almost immediately is something I feel really good and passionate about and is something I really love about my position. See the results of our work sometimes within months be translated into industry practices. That's rewarding. Thank you. Yeah, that's where the passion comes together with a career and being able to kind of help bring solutions to the table. Uh, literally. And so I'd also like to acknowledge that COVID-19 has had a significant impact on the academic community. As a research professor, what impact has COVID-19 had on your research lab and graduate students and the environment, I guess, that you all share? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, it's been a tough year. I think that that is across the board. Anyone you talk to, we have all faced challenges in the last year that none of us might have expected. That is true, right, in, in all aspects of life, and it's true for my research program, it's true for my lab, and it's true for my, my graduate students as well, that, you know, these are sort of unprecedented times. Mm -hmm. Research lab did shut down a significant amount of time sort of in the spring of last year during the initial shutdown, delayed a bunch of experiments. Uh, some of the field-based work we do, right, we lost field we lost we lost experiments that we could should have done last spring that we're now setting up to do this spring you know and so that's that's been a challenge but it, it you know you sort of adapt and move on mm -hmm. 
um, lucky in my lab that we, you know, we didn't lose cell cultures or anything that's unrecoverable. Mm -hmm. uh, everything that was, was lost is sort of things that, that we can just wait another year um, mm -hmm. and try again. So we're lucky. I know some labs weren't so lucky. The biggest impact on my research program is that just everything happens slower than it did before. Historically, you know, I knew what pace we could work at. We could have everybody in a lab sort of going full steam. And now we're really cognizant of how many people are in, how much interaction is happening between people. How can we space people's time out so that not everybody's there at the same time? You know, really anything we can do, things are not happening the way it used to. And, and I'll say for my graduate students, and I, I again suspect for graduate students across the board, this is not the graduate school experience that any of us expected, right? Yeah. This is not the graduate experience you wanted. This is not the graduate yeah. school experience we wanted for you. We're doing the best we can. For my students, that's the point I try to make with them all the time is we're doing the best we can. We're going to make it work. And if that means delaying graduations for a semester, we're going to delay for a semester. If that means, you know, walking away from some experiments now and picking them up in the in the fall when hopefully everyone's vaccinated, we'll come back to them in the fall. So it really, yeah, I mean, it's had a significant impact on the academic community. And I think if we have to acknowledge that and, and all be comfortable talking about it, you know, because we're all grieving what we've lost from our students to the staff to the research programs. We have lost a lot and I think there'll be a long-term impact from that. And you have to, for me, it's about being as supportive as I can to my staff and students. I tell them a lot. The research is important, your health, your mental health, and your family are, are more important. And that's what we're going to focus on, on right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that authenticity and bringing that up because I, as a graduate student in a different department, it's comforting, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's a tough time for everyone. And I think we need to acknowledge that and support each other. Where we have brought a community together is within our food safety extension group. Um, and so historically, we wouldn't go more than a couple of weeks without all seeing each other and being at the same workshop. And that's something for us um, is something that changed right when we shut down. So we have implemented a, a weekly Zoom call, 830. We start every time with a uh, wellness check on each other. Um, Yes, I do that one of my classes and it, yeah. you know, when they, when we first did one, I was like, okay, I don't really know what to tell people. But now, honestly, I look forward to it because I'm like, how's your week going? Because you told me last week that you're going through this. How's it going for you now? Yeah, I think it's, I, I think that this, I, there's a lot of openness about how you're feeling and how you're doing, right? When I, I know myself, I find, you know, how are you doing? Fine, right? Your standard answer is I'm fine or I'm okay or it's going great. And now I'm like, you know, I'm really not fine. I'm struggling with this today or I'm struggling with that today. So I find myself, I'm a lot more open with my colleagues about what I'm struggling with. And I think that that's a good thing. Do you have any advice for professors juggling similar responsibilities and roles right now? What would you say to them? Yeah, my, my biggest advice is to be kind to yourself, right? Don't put the expectations on yourself right now that you had for yourself a year ago. Um, don't ever lose fact of the fact that it's a global pandemic and that and the things will be there when things get more back to normal. So my yeah, my best advice is be kind, do what you can and make it work in the situation that we're in. Yep. 
thank you for that. Be kind um, to yourself and others and know that we are all in a very weird circumstance and we're just trying to make it work. So, and I, I guess I'll throw in there, yeah. wash your hands because I'm a food safety professional. So also wash your hands. Wash your hands. Be kind, wash your hands. Be kind, wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our state of the scientific enterprise during COVID-19 series on the streaming science podcast. Make sure to follow and reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Buzzsprout. For more information about research at UF IFAS, visit the link in the show notes. We would love to conduct more of these interviews and grow this series to include a variety of scientist voices and perspectives. If you're interested in participating, please email us at streamingscience1 at gmail.com. That's streamingscience, the number one, at gmail.com. I'm your host, Christine, and thanks for listening. Thank you.